This is Design School. Gage Mitchell and Jennifer Stewart, thank you so much for joining us on This is Design School today. Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah. We're uh, happy to be back in school. Yeah, back <laughs> in school. Especially today. For the hour. <laughs> this is the most important hour of education you've ever had. Fantastic, because I don't remember the other hours. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we wanted to talk to you today about a few things, but I guess where we can start is... is um, what you're doing now and how you got there. Sure, right now we run a sustainable design studio in Seattle, Washington, right in Belltown slash downtown. Um, I guess zip code wise, we're downtown. Um, it's a tiny little nano studio, four of us, myself, Gage, and two designers. Gage, how the hell did we get here? I think on an airline. Mm. I can't remember which Great. airline. But yes. <laughs> I was working in a studio that did branding for high-end residential developments. So we were selling, you know, four $10 million homes, you know, four to $10 million. We got to do all these beautiful materials for these residential developments to brand them and to promote them. And so we, the budgets were amazing. You know, we got to do whatever we want in these developers. This was in the housing boom, so money was. It was very much like kind of a dream job for somebody fresh out of design school, especially if you studied print a lot when you were in school, because you have like this checklist in your head of all these cool processes that you couldn't afford at Kinkos. Um, (laughs) They didn't do so. It was like foil stamp and varnishes and spot varnish and just all these cool things and. When you're selling a $10 million home, a $20 brochure is perfectly reasonable. So mm-hmm. They had a lot more money than our nonprofit clients. <laughs> so <laughs> so we were d- designing all this, these beautiful pieces. Uh, one day when we were at one of the launch parties with tons of fancy food and all sorts of delicious drinks, which is, of course, where I was as yeah. a food geek, I was staring at some people out of the corner of my eye, watched them pick up my brochure, and was trying to see how impressed they would be when they opened it up. And of course, they were wildly impressed. Of course, and, you know, I'm sure no, they weren't. I'm they sure were they weren't taking pictures of it and sharing it on Instagram, which didn't exist. <laughs> but in reality, they picked it up, kind of flipped through it for a second, and then went to put it back down where I thought it would be on the counter. And then it turned out instead they lowered it into the trash can <laughs> right next to the counter, <laughs> right next to the pile of brochures. Oddly, it's on. like a cat maneuver, <laughs> you know, where they're like, "This shouldn't be here." They just slowly like bat it yeah. off the counter. <laughs> like for some reason they had cracked the seal and it was no longer good. Ew! It was now contaminated. Unclean. It can only be touched once. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, well, this is garbage now. And it had somehow at that point gone in my in my mind from this thing that I had worked my butt off for a couple months and was super proud of all the processes and the print techniques and the nice papers that we use. It went from that to being a pretty piece of trash. So, and so now what do you do with trash? Now we plan for the trash. We, uh, so in sustainable design, it's, it's very much about kind of a whole systems thinking approach. Um, so we very much try to think about what's going to happen at the very end what's the end user process so there are certain things like there are certain coatings on papers and varnishes um, that make recycling much harder Um, so we pay attention to that sort of thing Um, certain 
inks such as like fluorescence that are very toxic um, and then also like where the paper comes from like how were the people who made this paper treated how are the how is the land treated that the, the uh, paper came from and even when it comes to digital stuff you know it does it, where's the server farm that this thing uh, is being hosted at and it doesn't run on renewable energy and doesn't have a wastewater treatment plant uh, because it's um, a, a big waster and everything so we um, it's not so much that trash no longer exists for our design. <laughs> it's that we are aware of it and we try as much as possible to control the entire system, including all the invisible parts or uh, what eventually became visible to Gage. <laughs> so in Charlotte, it was much more painful because both of us were already a bit of a tree-hugging hippie type and uh, Charlotte had like no recycling at the time just i mean maybe cans and bottles but other than that so that beautiful brochure wasn't going to be recycled. yeah maybe if we had lived up here at the time i'd say i designed pretty recycling yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> in north carolina it was definitely pretty trash so yeah we just basically we were both really uh burnt out and it was uh, to be honest when we took off to travel for a while it wasn't because we were like oh we gotta we got to figure out what kind of design studio we were going to start. No, it was more like a, like, just F this. I hate my life. We need to go and travel for a long time. We are burnt out and we hate everything. So yeah, there was no grand the, plan. This isn't what I pictured my job would be. Yeah, you know, like this is life? Us, I think. Oh. And so we just left to take a, take a break and figure out what else it could be, but just really take a break to travel the world's food markets, I guess. Yeah. So you guys didn't like your situation. You made a plan. Yeah. And then you said... We didn't like our situation. We read a book. <laughs> <laughs> we, I said to Gage, let's go on vacation. Do you want to go to Thailand or India? And he said, mm, Thailand? And I said, okay. And then I researched for a while, and then I formulated a plan that was we should sell everything we own, quit our jobs, and go... Uh, live in Thailand until all of our money runs out and I introduced that idea to Gage and gave him I think 24 hours <laughs> to figure it out it was something to the effect of honey this is what I think we should do and he said I I think Can I'll have I to think about think that, about that? <laughs> I was like yeah I mean to be fair at the time I actually I liked my co-workers and I liked the studio I was working in I just didn't necessarily like the clients so yeah. it took me a little while to figure out whether or not I wanted to do that and of course through those exercises I was just talking about I realized that there wasn't really a worst case scenario out there like I just take a little break and I can always plug back into the professional world at some other point in some other place that and I threatened to leave you if you that didn't go along with my too. plan <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so yeah we uh, when we came back to the United States we looked for cities that were under four percent unemployment uh, because at the time it was 2009 that was a hard thing to find mm -hmm. um, and that had a major university in case we wanted to go back to school to delay reality and that sort of thing um, and yeah we ended up in Madison Wisconsin for a while and we lived quite happily there for um, let's see I think a year and a half we were there for two and a half years and I say that we lived happily for a year and a half because <laughs> half of that time was winter and if if you mm -hmm. lived through a winter in Wisconsin, <laughs> you don't live happily. Yeah. So that's why we moved to Seattle. That's why they have more bars per capita yeah, or something sure than anywhere else in the country. They do know how to make excellent <laughs> what alcohol. What they do is they eat a lot of cheese and they drink a lot of beer. God bless them. Good <laughs> Which people. both were really good. So, so if you haven't good. been there for the cheese or the beer, I miss I it, recommend it a lot. Not enough, but I miss it. 
<laughs> so what was your biggest takeaway from this big living abroad, you know, oh, like finding yourself yeah, journey? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so what my big takeaway was, uh, was don't do something big like that unless you actually have a plan or a point. We had no plan, no point. There was no finding myself. I've always been right here between the top of my head and the bottom of my feet. No need or right in the mirror. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there wasn't – it was more like – it, it was less about finding ourselves and more about running away from our situation and the lives that we had created and wanting to start all over. And there is nothing like starting all over when you arrive in a new city where you know no one and you have two backpacks. And it was great to rebuild. Probably um, the impact of our journey was really just on experiencing other cultures and getting out of our very, very American mindset, which I'm sure having been back in the country for a very long time, we are fully back into our American mindset, hopefully just slightly broadened. Um, but yeah, the the huge benefit was actually probably in coming back with nothing and rebuilding our lives from scratch the way we wanted. Uh, professionally, there were a couple things or there were a couple things that we learned unintentionally while we were traveling that kind of influenced the way we built our design studio. And uh, one of them was we were sitting in a bar in Brussels, Belgium, where we were drinking delicious beers. This bar had over 2,000 different beers and all the correct labels and paraphernalia for it. And we were drinking some amazing beers. I think Jen found her love for banana beer while oh we were God, there. Oh, my God, I love banana beer so because much. Because for people in Belgium, they don't care – what kind of beer you're drinking, so long as you're drinking beer. That's that's the rule. If anybody is listening and has a connection with Mongozo, uh, it's a company that makes banana beer. We need it in the United States. I'm tired of traveling for it. It's so good. Anyway. So long story short, we were sitting in there, and I was realizing that all this designed stuff all over the walls and on the glass that I was drinking from, somebody had designed that. And for some weird reason, like having worked in the – field where I was designing brochures for multi-million dollar mansions, it hadn't occurred to me that I could go out and try to find work doing design for companies I actually care about or for the type of products what I care about. What a concept. Yeah, it seems really logical now, but I guess when you're in employee mode, you just think I need to go get a job and you're not thinking like what kind of work that company does. And to be fair, there are many design studios that are very hand to mouth. Like whatever's coming in, they'll take it. And mm -hmm. there's uh, fewer niched companies out there. Yeah, I've talked to some studio owners since starting my own studio who say that they say they say yes to anything yeah. that comes in the door. So I'm assuming that means that you guys don't say yes to everything. No, no. Unfortunately, we probably we say, say no, to no a, lot a of little things, yeah. too much. We're very obnoxiously picky, but we're also like a nano design studio. So that's not me bragging. That's me just basically. There's. You're uh, wanting to stay small. Yeah, we really, we're four well, we'd, people. We'd rather stay small doing work that we really like than grow and have to take on bad work just to feed the employees. Yeah. So, I mean, to the credit of other design studio owners, like once you get to a certain size, like the amount of work that just comes in freely versus the work that you have to go out and get, like uh, that ratio becomes pretty painful. And so you, you do take in whatever kind of comes along. So yes, we are purposefully staying fairly small that we want to grow a little bigger. So how do you um, make the choice of who to take on and who not to take on? So responsible companies is the big deal. We really well, almost responsible is a big one, but almost passionate people who are wanting to make a positive impact on the world, I guess. Uh, 
would be one way. We end up getting to work with a lot of company founders who are passionate. But if you're passionate about just making a ton of money and then selling your company, there's other design studios for you. But if you're passionate about fixing the food system or creating big change in the healthcare industry, then that gets us more excited. And we feel like if we're excited about it, our employees will probably be more excited about it. Yeah. And especially with the current generation of designers out there, there's a lot of research showing that um, this up-and-coming generation cares a lot more about the value of the work that they're doing or the impact that they're having than necessarily the salary. Um, so we figured, you know, if if we feel that way and our employees feel that way, then it's, it makes sense to sacrifice those giant paychecks that we could be getting if we said yes to everything and just work on stuff that we find meaningful and that could make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Um, we happen to have, because we're so small, it makes sense to pick basically a niche to focus on so that we can spend our marketing dollars wisely. And since Jen and I are both obsessed with food and have been for a long time, we've ended up focusing mostly on the organic food world, but we do personal care products in some social cause companies as well. Yeah. JP, in your classes, are you hearing a lot of people talking about how they want to work for socially good companies or that, um, or do they feel disheartened because they feel like they don't exist? Like, what are you hearing? I would say a couple of years ago, it was very much about social cause or um, social advocacy. Mm-hmm. These days, I feel that there's a there's a better balance, and and I don't know if I, balance is the word that I should use. There's a tipping towards um, complacency, and this idea of well, what can I really do? Right, hmm. and it's somewhat scary to to, to see that because yeah. I think I'm saw that in the early 2000s of, well, what can I really do about this? Mm-hmm. And knowing that things are in cycles, I'm hoping that I can snap them out of it early enough that knowing how to design and, and knowing how to, to uh, develop a, a sense of, of worth both in the quality of work that you do, but in the clients that you choose or mm-hmm. in the careers that you are, are planning on are moving towards, that that'll change and allow people to, to engage in design in a different way or engage in art in a different way. Yeah. Well, it's sad to hear that complacency is taking its, it's course. It's not really that surprising, though. It's not surprising because it is yeah. difficult you know, it's to make a big change. Um, I mean, the more you see on the media about how like <laughs> we're in a really, really rough world, you, the more you feel uh, that you can't do much. Yeah. And right now I, I have my students working on a project that is about conceptual development and or they just finished it and the um the focus was on voting uh, and i always leave these open-ended giving them part of a sentence and they have to fill in the rest of the sentence and it was surprising how much people were engaged in the things that they choose which was uh, com- a complete opposite of what i was expecting so i was like yes i am excited about the fact that you are interested in changing the drinking age there was one about um, fixing the, uh, what is it, uh, the uh, foster care system. Mm-hmm. There was one about um, Planned Parenthood. There was one about um, GMOs. There was one, about, you know, I was like, oh, oh, great. You know, you're not thinking about voting for, you know, Republican or, right. or, or, There's or no Democrat. There's specific party There's or yeah. issues. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, granted, I told them pick an issue and I thought oh, they yeah. would pick like gun control. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or 
yeah, Planned something, Parenthood, something yeah. that's big and in the media and everything, exactly. but like foster care system. Yeah, yeah. You don't hear about that in the media. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. Cool. And the yeah. students will be happy to know that AIGA Seattle has chosen uh, as one of our focuses for 2016 to focus on design for democracy, which is one of yeah. AIGA's national initiatives. Which yeah. is one of the things that we uh, I had them research out was the, cool. the previous uh, demi- design for democracies. Nice. That's, that's yeah, awesome. So, so Tell them to keep an eye out for whatever we end up developing there. Or if they're really excited about it and want to help Join figure in. out what that is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Volunteer. Yeah. I'm hoping that this will this will spark a interest for them to do more with AIGA Seattle. Yeah. Perfect. And also possibly, hopefully, to be lifelong voters. However, I do want to emphasize regarding the complacency that you were talking about, JP, that there are design studios like ours and uh, like these other design studios that we speak with that are sustainability focused. However, um, there's also a, a giant myth out there, um, it, which is an understandable one, that unless you're working for a sustainable design studio, you can't do anything. And I think that's like kind of goes back to that whole voting thing like, oh, I, I don't have a voice. So therefore, like, why exercise it? And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you get to you get to have a voice. You get to have a say, even if you don't get your way. We don't always get our way. We've, you know, we've uh, made designs for um, uh, pouches, uh, flexible uh, squeeze pack pouches that can't be recycled. We don't want those things to exist. And yet at the same time, we won in a bunch of other areas. So, uh, you know, it's it's about speaking up and it's about uh, trying to guide things in the right way. And a lot of times you have more power than you think you do, but you only have that power if you exercise Mm -hmm. your voice. So educating yourself about sustainable design and then just trying to plug it into the process wherever you are that has a huge impact. If we have nobody coming to us but people who are already into sustainability, like how much impact are we really having? I think that it's really important for young people to understand, especially if they're interested in socially good, environmentally good, economic good, um, to, to get into companies that aren't already focused that way and push. Just mm-hmm. start pushing, not huge pushes, because you don't want to get yourself fired, but push. <laughs> and so. if if you're a good employee, your boss is going to want to accommodate whatever your interests are, because you're a valuable person to them. Yeah. So if you and all your coworkers are saying you want to do more socially good projects or lo- mm-hmm. do more in terms of sustainability, then your boss will probably listen. Yeah. Or if you just say like, we don't need 800 processes on this thing because that no longer makes it recyclable. Like, hey, let's not do this coded stuff. Um, that's practically laminated. Or how can we achieve uh, the same look with a more sustainable Or like, process? do we have to host this, uh, you know, at a non-green host? Can we just do this at, or can we host it at this other host that's super awesome and happens to be charged by windmills? You know. <laughs> so thinking about the uh, employee components of that, when you're hiring your t- two employees, were you looking that they had some sort of socially conscious or uh, design with sustainability in mind or did you have other criteria or do you typically have other criteria that you look for uh they definitely had to care they didn't have to have a deep knowledge of sustainability so hippies huh yeah Yeah. (laughs) they had to be hugging trees they had to send a picture of them with a tree in their hands trees and then if they could show a a picture of their heart bleeding that was important so yeah yeah. well we knew that it was unrealistic to assume that anyone would come in with a deep knowledge of sustainable design especially but you had to care enough to 
think along those lines or to ask the right questions or to not push back when we suggest something sustainable. But ultimately, uh, you just had to be somebody who wanted to do something better. Um, and then you to had to be a quite, good designer, of course. And to you be had quite to be, clear, being a sustainable designer is much harder, much harder, because it means uh, having to put yourself through further education, quite a bit of further education. Um, outside of school so you get out of school especially somebody's like a junior designer they're like yeah i'm out of school i'm done with classes and we just hand you a stack of books and we're like great here starts your sustainable design education like it's you gotta want it <laughs> actually speaking uh something that might be useful for your students is speaking of hiring um when you see a job post up there that post was written in a very specific way because the studio has a very specific need. And we, we would post up with requirements of, you know, tell us why you care about sustainability or, you know, we want this kind of experience and this much of experience and these are the kind of criteria we're looking for. And you wouldn't believe how many resumes, I want to say at least 75% of the yeah. applicants we got did Don't not follow those instructions and did not fit that criteria at all and didn't bother explaining why they were still applying, even though it didn't fit. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like it was, they thought that maybe we wouldn't notice. Yeah, they're like, they're like, I know they said they wanted five years of experience, but I've got an internship, don't. and that kind of counts. And they didn't say like why they thought they were still a good candidate. So, so, yeah. so are you saying that following direction makes a difference? <laughs> yeah, I know I it's say... hard for creatives, but color in the in in between the lines. <laughs> or if bit. you still somehow miraculously think you fit that criteria, even though you do not meet the criteria, explain it. Explain it in your cover letter. Just tell us. Actually, the employee that we just recently hired. She did not fit the criteria. And the only way that we even had a conversation with her was because she sent us cupcakes because she obviously knew we're food focused. And, <laughs> and in her us. cover letter, she said, like, you know, I'm not the conventional candidate. Give me a chance. Yeah, so we so just she, sent her an email and said, explain yourself. <laughs> yeah, so we just sent her a very blunt email and just said, like, well, why are you applying to this job? You obviously don't fit it. And that, if you don't fit, explain why you don't, if you do think you're still a good candidate. Yeah. <laughs> Place yourself as the underdog. Yeah. And own it. Maybe. But don't just, like, try to cover or don't ignore the fact that you do not fit. And pay attention to what people post. It's people post that, or job, or employers write those descriptions for a reason. Or don't send cupcakes. Chad, do you notice that there's a foodie in the group? And yeah, seriously. And there's a in the group? <laughs> I was just asking, did you get did you get our cupcakes? Oh, uh, <laughs> no. Which I mean, uh, I'm about to leave, so uh, if you want to go get those. <laughs> I, wait, I thought you were gonna send them after the talk. That's, yeah. Isn't that what you bribed that's, us? I mean, yeah, that's right. We were promised. We cupcakes are getting cupcakes. We're yes. Promised. <laughs> we're gonna have to do cupcakes. <laughs> I think we were promised uh, cupcakes made with uh, stout beer or something i just i, I really i want I, i've seen some cupcake oh, yeah. shops that will do beer cupcakes <laughs> yeah bloom bake shop does them so yeah. so one thing you were talking about earlier is how um design is kind of in this unique position because you know we make lots of things and Stuff. people use these things and one thing i've often been hearing talk about as well is you know design is getting a much larger voice in the business world and so more now so than ever design is poised to really make the change that is needed in 
everything yes. really <laughs> yeah. yeah but at the same time um jp saying that his students and i know i've seen this uh with my students and my peers is that there's a large sense of complacency in that you know it's like nobody feels like they can make a change and it's interesting I'm, I'm wondering like do you guys operate under like a certain like code of ethics or it sounded like there are two topics there so one is bit, that yeah. the business world is starting to take notice of design and I think yeah. um, part of that is obviously comp- companies like Apple that are design driven are outperforming a lot of uh, non-design driven companies and there was actually the Design Management Institute which is mm-hmm. um, like an AIGA but for design organizations so you join as a company instead of um, as an individual but they did a study and they found design driven companies outperformed the S&P by uh, 228% over the course of that study so I think based on that and also the fact that a lot of business schools are noticing that the old way of doing business isn't enough anymore yeah. and you need to instill some sort of creativity and and to start thinking more about the user and your customers instead of just you know doing things the way you want to do them because you're the business um, so there's a lot of powerful stuff going on there that I think yeah. designers can capitalize on more and start to um, think more strategically and learn more about business so that we can have those good conversations and can influence the trajectory of the businesses that we work with. And then the other question was about ethics mm-hmm. and like a um, code of ethics or standards, I guess, professional practices. Yeah. So we do follow the AIGA professional practice standards. Um, We've even sent them to clients in certain yeah. cases where we say we cannot do that. We follow yeah. the AIGA yeah. uh, so there are things that we go through that I, I don't know how many other design studios, mm-hmm. like you said, it's maybe it's not as common yeah. as architecture world, but we do have certain sta- ethical standards yeah. that we will not cross. Those ethics exist for a reason. And yeah. it's so that you can look yourself in the mirror and so that you can go to AIGA networking events and shake hands with everyone there. Yeah. <laughs> so. but, it, well, but I think it, what's interesting, as soon as you switch to talking about ethics, mm-hmm. it often started talking about like how you interact with clients a lot Mm -hmm. um and i think one thing like as like a group of designers is developing a code of ethics around how we treat the earth or how we do that in society yeah society economy like other human beings like each other right yeah and so there kind of isn't that yeah my curiosity (laughs) is like the aiga like especially is like often geared towards in like that verbiage, right, mm-hmm. is, is helping deal with clients. And do you think that's enough? Or do you think we should be thinking about, you know, like how can we can we transition that into like thinking oh. about how we can well, use a code of ethics to reference like sustainable practices? I yeah. love, so, love that idea. <laughs> so I, really, I mean, it's, it's tough. And it's no, good, I think but, that's a fabulous yeah. idea. And the fact that it is tough is the reason that I think yeah. that it doesn't happen or isn't going to happen. The yeah. fact that design... Uh, our profession of design when you compare it to other design disciplines we are considered the weakest and I think it's because uh, we often allow ourselves to be the weakest mm-hmm. the um, when because you we think everything we do is very subjective yes yeah. and, and it can't be not. measured but that's not true at all when you talk to somebody who says I'm an engineer you immediately have respect for them when you yeah. talk to somebody who says I'm an architect 
you have respect for them. Um, industrial designers, interior designers, uh, heck, interior decorators <laughs> can, can oftentimes get more uh, more respect. Um, we're often the, the punchline um, for most movies. So I think it's, it's because we often portray ourselves designer. more as artists than as designers or business people. And, I think and we like to think that uh, design is so subjective. And the reason we're saying that is because traditionally graphic arts was fairly subjective. We knew some things about color theory and whatnot, but it was really just a matter of taste. Like, do you like this design or do you like this design? Yeah. It was more about which one you prefer. But um, these days, design is much more of a science. And now the only thing that is subjective is whether or not you personally like that brand or you personally like that poster. Mm -hmm. But that has nothing to do with whether or not it's good design. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that you can integrate into your design process that to consider the environment, like whether or not this is responsibly sourced paper, for example, or to consider people, like am I sourcing these cotton t-shirts from a factory in Bangladesh that's gonna, you know, has terrible workplace standards. But the problem Those is- Those things aren't subjective. That when it comes to architecture, you do have to know things about material integrity. You have to know about brick and you have to know about stone and steel and all those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas with uh, graphic design, you really don't have to know a lot about material integrity. You don't have to know where it comes from. You don't have to examine it at all. Um, and. Uh, and the key word there is you don't have to, and that's part of the problem is right. that in architecture, you have to have a certain level of education in order to even get your license. And you have to have 10 years of experience or something under somebody that actually has a license um, before you can even take your test and get your license. So Yeah. And I'm just kind of like making this up right as I sit <laughs> here, but I wonder if one of the solutions is that we need to separate back into two different fields. Like there should be graphic arts and there should be graphic design. If they used any good design principles, it's a piece yeah. of art, right? Yeah. And then there are some studios who are doing packaging or who are doing brands or trying to launch social movements that actually have a lot more to think about. You have to think about the culture. You have to think about the people you're designing for. You have to think about the materials and you have to think about the end of life. And We find that there are two uh, types of students that come out of uh, design school. Sometimes there are some people who kind of mix the two, but basically there are those that are uh, graphic artists and there are graphic designers. Graphic designers are, or I'm sorry, I'll start with graphic artists. Graphic artists want to insert themselves into the design. They want to express themselves through their design, very much the, the mindset of the artist, or they want to, you know, uh, speak a message, whether or not that message has anything to do with that particular brand or the, the purpose for that design existing. Graphic designers are trying to design to create something for a specific purpose that exists outside of them. Um, so they're trying to design something that communicates this message about you know, being a, a clean hospital or something. Like, whether or not they're passionate about it, it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's uh, they're designing to um, reach this end goal, and it's very strategic. Yeah, they're trying um, to solve a business or a community problem using creativity and the design process, right. which is a different thing from making pretty posters. Right. So beautiful and beautifully effective are two different animals. And there are plenty of design schools out there that are really art schools. 
Um, and and the fact that graphic design exists in the art department is another area where you're like, okay, well, it, maybe it should be in the psychology or the business department. Like, there's a lot more to design than it being art. <laughs> um, it can be artistic, but I, I don't believe that's the purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly not anymore, so... I love that um, that variation and difference, mm-hmm. graphic arts and graphic design. I've, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone articulate it that well before. So, yeah, right. thanks. Well, I also <laughs> think that was a big argument in the move away from the term graphic designer for a lot of yeah. educational programs mm-hmm. in the switch to visual design or communication, or visual arts. communication yeah. design. Yeah. Um, was because they were like, well, we make more than graphics. It's yeah. more complicated than that. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like design is is a great word for strategy to yeah. strategically figure out how how to reach this end goal. You know, design. You know, whether it be a, a campaign or a service or whatever. Like, design is a good word. We should stick with design. I think, um, but I think we should take out art or um, or take out the word graphics that they were pointing out. But yeah, also. Just to maybe quick side jump back yeah. to the ethics thing, yeah. I do know that in the recent update of the AIGA professional standards, they did include some things taken from the living principles and from design for good movement mm-hmm. to include some ethics outside of just how you treat other businesses or your yeah. clients to include. It's just hard things, to but. include uh, ethics that involve things that you don't expect people to know. And honestly, they don't expect yeah. people to know about those Until things. Until design yeah. schools start teaching more about sustainability, uh, economic impact, um, you know, environmental impact, cultural impact, cultural impact, all these kind of things until more undergrad design programs teach that that, there's no way you can require it of the field of students um, because they just don't have that knowledge. But I will love it when somebody gets out of design school and they have a degree in in graphic design and people are like, whoa, that's impressive. (laughs) Like that should be hard. (laughs) One argument I've heard against design certification, which makes me kind of stop and think a little bit too, is um, that if we really want to be more inclusive as a design profession, because it is so middle-class white, you know, the people that fill it, we need to be more inclusive of people with uh, more difficult backgrounds or people of color, or, um, blind or you know, deaf or, you know, there's all sorts of people that should be included in the design field that aren't currently included to the numbers that we would like them to be. And one argument I've heard against uh, being having a, some sort of certification system is that just adds like another barrier that mm-hmm. there's already barriers of financial uh, barriers or getting into a good school or whatever that keep you from becoming a designer and to add sort of certification would add another barrier in there. But again, I go back to the fact that we can just have either a split of the professions or maybe you don't have to be certified in order to practice, but you have to be certified in order to get certain levels of jobs because do we really want somebody that doesn't have any education in sustainability doing some big sustainability project? No. So maybe you need to have a certification to do that. Or really any but sort if you of large make, scale project. But if you want to make posters and t-shirts for the rest of your life, then sure. Yeah. It's tough. As we tie things up is like, what what is the ideal world that you think should, like, what do we need to do to change? And then how can people, like, how can you inspire people to get there? Right. So... I went to school for creative writing, and I got a minor in philosophy, which um, has given me uh, some unique perspectives on things. And when it comes to complacency and the impact of a uh, of your life, um, 
I very much turn to Rene Descartes. Descartes was the guy who said, I think, therefore I am. And Descartes actually also inspired the movie The Matrix. Whether or not you like it, uh, it was his philosophy and his line of thinking uh, that he came to after locking himself in his apartment, I think, for a a good week straight or so um, to write up all of his meditations and things. He said, listen, I can't figure out how to determine that I do indeed exist beyond my actual thinking. But beyond my actual thinking, I can't tell if I actually exist and this body is mine and the people in front of me actually exist and I'm in this this room, or if I'm a brain in a jar that's being electrically stimulated to think whatever they want me to think. Believing that I'm a brain in a jar and that there's nothing I can do to change my world or my life does me no good whatsoever. So therefore, I'm going to operate as though A is true and screw B. And that's the way I view complacency. Complacency to me is deciding that B is true. That you're a brain in a jar and you're like nothing and no one and you can't do anything. What's the point? Why would you believe that? I mean, you might be right. (laughs) You might absolutely be right that you can make no impact whatsoever. But deciding that before you even try is just stupid. (laughs) So just try. Just try. (laughs) That's what I do to encourage people. I think, therefore, I design. (laughs) I think, therefore, I design. (laughs) Why not? If that's what you love and that's what you're passionate about and that's how you want to make an impact, fucking do it. Yeah, I don't know if I can top that. <laughs> I was like, and I, had, <laughs> I had something to say, but mine was going to be a lot softer along the lines of, of I've, I've noticed a couple different kinds of careers of my colleagues, friends, people I know. And it seems that people either take the path that other people tell them to take. I would say those are the complacent people that you're just kind of doing whatever you think you're supposed to do. And more often than not, you're not going to love your job. You might make decent money because maybe that path ends up working out pretty well, but you're probably not going to love your job because it's really going to be somebody else's job that they told you to do. You took what came along. Yeah. And then there are some people who have kind of unplugged themselves, so to speak, from that system and thought, well, I don't have to do their version of my career. I can figure out what I really care about and actively pursue that as my career. So even if you don't change the entire world, you can change your career. It's as simple as that. You can find the things you want to design for. You can find the problems you want to solve. You can find the type of companies you like working with, and you can pursue that as a career, and you can pursue those jobs. And five years down the road, if that's not doing it for you anymore, you find something else because you you have the opportunity to live your life and you have the opportunity to build your own career. So don't just do it, no offense teachers, but don't just do what your teacher points you to. Don't just do what your boss tells you to do. Figure out what matters to you and go out and actively pursue that. And you'll, I mean, you may not have more money, you may not work less, but you will be more fulfilled and you will enjoy your career a lot. Amen, and church is over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jen and Gage, thank you so much for coming in and sharing um, all the amazing work you're doing and your great point of view that needs to be heard. Thank you very much for having us. Hopefully we didn't offend too many people. Well, (laughs) nah, screw it. Just be offended.
This is Design School is recorded at the KPOU studios. For additional information about each episode, visit thisisdesign.school. The intro music for This is Design School is Electronic Nostalgic, composed by Paul Tyen and published under the Creative Commons on SoundCloud. We'd love to hear what you like, what you don't like, and what you want to hear on the show. Join us on Twitter at JPAvila and at Chad P. Hall. Also, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And share us with your designer friends. Bye for now. Thank you.